Hi, I'm Dr. Steve Elias, and welcome to the Vein Podcast. Respect the elders, embrace the new, and encourage the improbable and impractical without bias. Today, we're going to be speaking on a topic that goes by the acronym CRN, Coordinated Registry Network. Most of you probably don't have an idea about what this means, nor did I necessarily when we first uh, embarked upon this. But we have uh, three of the uh, leading members that are trying to make this all work. And we'll get into what this means in terms of coordinated registry network. But also first, we're going to have everybody introduce themselves. So we're going to start with Jens Jorgensen. Tell us where you're from and kind of what you're doing. Hi, I'm uh, Jens Jorgensen. I'm a vascular surgeon uh, from Portland, Maine at the uh, Maine Medical Center. And I'm the uh, medical director of the Society for Vascular Surgery, Vascular Quality Initiative. Okay. And we have Marlon Schul, who is... Hi, <clears throat> Marlon Schul. I'm a venous and lymphatic specialist, Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, been involved in registry development for about 10 years. Yeah, I'm current president of the American Vein Lymphatic Society. And last but not least is Nick Osborne. Hi, uh, Nick Osborne from University of Michigan. Uh, I'm a vascular surgeon there and at the VA in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, I am also a health services researcher and, and specialize in kind of large database analysis and have really been, uh, been working more recently on a lot of projects and examining kind of the outcomes and appropriateness of venous procedures. Okay, so we have we, we have three people here are quite involved with uh, collecting data, analyzing data, and the idea of a coordinated registry network is to kind of take diverse registries that are maybe looking at similar data points, but using them as a, in a coordinated manner to to answer some specific questions. Uh, this all began a, a few years ago now. Uh, actually with the uh, original discussion we had from Vane Magazine, uh, kind of Marlon and Jens, uh, well, amongst others, were talking about this and we sort of took this up as a challenge to see if we could uh, make, this, make this work between uh, various organizations. So Marlon, just tell us about what, we, the AVLS that you have a registry, briefly, you know, just a minute or two, tell us what, what it entails and, and in general, what kind of data it picks up? Great question, Steve. And, and I think you have to look at the, the inception. This registry was designed to eliminate duplicate entry, which is an extra, extra cost to participating in a registry. And so every bit of data uh, in our registry comes from EMRs that are formatted to dump data in a uh, very granular way so that the values have meaning. We capture um, initial consults, duplex uh, data at the outset, duplex follow-ups, all procedure details. And in, and in addition, we're capturing quality of life variables using the SF6D and the HASTI score. And it's basically used as an advocacy tool to try to bring a face to the patients that we treat as we're seeing uh, more and more scrutiny over vein care. All right. So, so that's from coming from your viewpoint. The, so that's the one registry that's kind of uh, looking at data from with this, our coordinated re registry network. Um, and then the other registry is, uh, Jens will take that, explain what other registry that we're uh, looking at as well. Sure. Um, Steve, the Society for Vascular Surgery, Vascular Quality Initiative has uh, 12 procedural based registries covering the spectrum of arterial and venous ID, uh, disease. 
The idea behind these registries is to improve the, the care of the vascular patient using a data-driven approach. And with this large number of patients that we have in the registry and the granular clinical data, we can learn things that we wouldn't be able to learn from a single center series or a multi-center trial. It also has the advantages of providing real-world evidence. This has a full spectrum of providers of different specialties in different settings, uh, inpatient, outpatient, office space labs, vein centers, that allows us to see what's going on and to learn from each other. And so one of our registries is the varicose vein registry, and I'll ask Nick to provide more details about the varicose vein registry. Yeah. Okay, so Nick, tell us kind of what the, the varicose vein registry looks at. Maybe some things that, because you've been looking now at, at both registries, and we've been talking about what, uh, what AVLS registry has and what the SVS registry has. What does it look at that's similar? And, and what are some of the things that, that it captures that AVLS doesn't capture? Yeah, that's a good, good start there, I think. So, um, you know, the varicose vein registry um, from the VQI uh, is a procedural registry, uh, which allows us to capture patients who've undergone procedures for varicose veins, C2 disease and higher, so non-cosmetic uh, surgeries uh, for venous disease. And the goal of that registry was to not only capture the kind of initial uh, procedure and uh, short-term outcomes, complications, but also longer-term outcomes. And so we capture them up to one year uh, out from the procedure. Uh, and similar to the AVLS, we also capture patient-reported outcomes, which uh, the HASTY score uh, that was already mentioned is similarly captured uh, um, in the varicose vein registry. Um, you know, the VQI, VVR registry, and the AVLS uh, registry both, I think, have um, robust amount of data. They have a wealth of patients in them, and I think they are set apart from a lot of other uh, registries in vascular surgery and in surgery in general because they do capture patient-reported outcomes, uh, and that's a, a monumental improvement, uh, and it really gives us data to drive kind of the next kind of level of evidence for venous disease and it's really been a, a uh, what I would say is, uh, you know, a success of both registries to be able to do that. And it can, can be looked at as something that I think a lot of other registries are going to start to do because it's it really is an improvement in, in not only cap capturing things that are very easy to capture, like, you know, uh, you know whether someone's had a DVT or not, but uh, things that are harder to capture, which are how happy people are after their surgery with the appearance and kind of the other complaints that, that go along with venous disease. And I think that gives us a, an opportunity to really study venous care uh, in a much more granular manner and get a lot more out of it and then be able to advocate for our patients, uh, you know, both getting the right treatments, but also that we're able to provide those treatments to those patients. And one of the differences between the registries that I'll, I'll highlight, though, I think is that, like I mentioned, the VQI, Venus, Venus uh, Varicose Vein Registry, is a procedural database where we're capturing patients who've undergone a procedure. Right. In contrast, uh, Marlon was gonna, has mentioned that the AVLS registry captures patients who have just been seen for a consult and have you know, a duplex result with venous disease and they may not undergo a procedure. And so the a main difference between the two registries is that in our case, we are capturing one part of the population that's undergone procedures. In the AVLS, they are capturing 
a larger cohort of patients which may or may not undergo procedures. And I think that's a natural marriage of these two to be able to work together. So, so in the marriage, obviously, all marriage at some point becomes a compromise. Um, <laughs> so, right, either that or it just doesn't work. So, um, no, this kind of want to take everybody through the the growing pains that that we kind of went through uh, when we thought about getting these uh, two registries together. Um, and Nick, you kind of alluded to what we can get out of these by by coordinating uh, both all of them, but. You had to come up with some initial questions that we wanted answered and questions that we thought both registries could support in terms of mining the data from each one of those those registries. Uh, but prior to that, and we're gonna get we're gonna get to that. I want you guys to think about, you know, what are those initial questions because we, we kind of came up with them. Um, you need a name for what you're doing. Uh, and we and we came up with a name, and, and Jens is going to tell us what that name is, the acronym, and then sure. tell us what it stands for. Sure. The uh, the, the name of our group is uh, Cover, uh, C O V E R, Consortium of Venus Registries. And just to talk a little bit about the concept of coordinated registry network, each of our registries has its own advantages and disadvantages, and we capture a different segment of the population. We have different providers who are putting input data into that. And so if you put them together, I think the sum will be greater than, uh, well, the whole will be greater than the sum of its parts. Similarly, if someone is trying to answer a question, they have to say, which registry should I use? Uh, if industry or the FDA is trying to look at something, which registry would they use to get this information? Well, if we can harmonize our variables and definitions, then we can have our registries work together to try and address these uh, questions. All right, so let's let's talk about what what cover is going to look at, or we want to see if we could make it work in terms of of some of the questions. And we didn't start out with you know answering some bit of minutia. We started out with what is a generalizable question to answer. Marlon, want to tell us one of those questions? It's not a test, don't worry. Just oh, just one of those questions was for uh, seep level, what was the average number of ablations for a patient given their, their level of, of C of seep? So it's, it's basically crawl before you run, crawl before you walk, and we're trying to see if we can't take simple analyses and, and prove that we can do this. So one thing I forgot to ask uh, is the, the volume of patients that are in the registries. So the, the two together are going to add up to about what would we say? The ballpark. We're not going to hold everybody to one single thing. Yeah, it's multiple hundreds of thousands. So we're talking hundreds of thousands. All right. So we're going to get data from hundreds of thousands of patients, which is, you know, a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's going to be good. So one question is going to answer number of ablations uh, per patient per SEEP class. Mm -hmm which I think we really that has not really been discussed all that much in terms of breaking things down to, to seep class itself. There's been this generalizable, papers have come out generalizable in terms of number of ablations per patient, whatever, but clearly we're hoping to see that the higher the seep grade, maybe the more number of, of ablations. Well, actually, uh, what uh, Nikos and Crawford uh, paper showed yeah. that they actually had nearly 0.4 ablations more if they had C6 disease, but that's the only one that right. I'm aware of. Right. And that's not that right. All right. So that's one question. What, there, was a, there were a few other ones that we were, we were looking at, at answering as well. 
Yeah. So I think longer term, you know, some of the early ones are really these more um, questions that are really examining the database, understanding how, uh, you know, the similarities and the differences between the database. And then as we get more experience with those, I think we then have a lot of interest in really looking at the outcomes of procedures and taking advantage of the fact that, um, you know, the registries capture different populations in, in some cases and so that we can get data from both. And so some of those questions are simpler questions and, uh, you know, simple in, in theory, I would say, not necessarily in execution. Um, but uh, some of those questions would be questions comparing thermal and non-thermal ablations, comparing different uh, distributions of disease and ablations in different territories of the truncal veins. Um, one that just, uh, I think, is another um, valid compares, comparison would be to look at, um, you know, treating patients by their C score, by the C score of their C to see their outcomes in the different classes. So in a C2 versus C3, C4 patient, since we know that insurance companies and carriers are, are really scrutinizing reimbursement right now, we have to be able to provide them evidence of the efficacy of these treatments. And there's no better way to do that than with real world data. Uh, you know, the VQI, VVR can give you a population of patients that are treated, but we can't give you a population of patients that weren't treated to compare them to. The AVLS, on the other hand, has that population too. So I think that's a natural longer term. That's more of a pie in the sky, you know, uh, analysis that I think we will get to uh, once we have these other ones done. But that's the, I think those are the fruits of the initial labors will be these really important studies where we can generate a population of patients that not only undergo treatment, but patients that do not undergo treatment. And we can really do more comparative effectiveness studies in this in this uh, CRN. So let's, so, so Jens, if you could bring us up a little bit, I mean, I think that this is great. And I want you know, the listeners to understand that, that it's not just as simple of, you know, just plugging things into the database. It's, it's a lot of, there's a huge challenge here. Um, and one of the challenges in the beginning and why it's called a coordinated registry network is this is not a new concept. This has been done many other places. And, and one of the challenges is, and what people should understand is, nobody likes to give up their turf. And so by ascribing to a, a coordinated registry network idea, um, that can help take that out of the picture and, and put it under a different umbrella. But if Jens, if you could just give us briefly uh, where this kind of started, one start a little bit. Talk to us about uh, Art Sedrakian and, and and things like sure. that, and let let everybody know why it's not just you know three people talking uh, about how do we do this, but there's an overseer, so to speak, that's going to um, enable us to accomplish this in a in a better manner. Well, I think if we start at the very beginning, the uh, inception came from the uh, U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And their responsibility is to ensure the safety and efficacy of devices that are used to treat medical conditions. And right now they're undergoing some rethinking of their approach to this. The traditional gold standard for uh, device evaluation has been the randomized clinical trial. Uh, that has been criticized for a number of reasons. It uh, becoming more difficult due to logistic and regulatory considerations. They're increasingly expensive. And they have been criticized because they are traditionally done at selected centers by selected providers on selected patients. And so whether this 
uh, results of an RCT are generalizable to the public is unclear just because the limited nature of an RCT. And so the FDA has expanded their concept of device evaluation to using real world evidence, which is what you find in these clinical registries that are collecting patients by all different providers in different settings and using devices both on and off label for indications. So they came up with a com uh, concept of the NEST, which is the National Evaluation for Healthcare uh, Technology. And the NEST is designed to look at all different devices, whether it's GYN orthopedic or vascular. But one of the offshoots of uh, NEST was another acronym, RAPID, R-A-P-I-D, the Registry Assessment of Peripheral Interventional Devices. This is a public-private partnership consisting of academia, professional societies, including the American College of Cardiology, Society of Vascular Surgery, Society of Interventional Radiology, as well as governmental agencies, including the FDA and CMS, National Library of Medicine and others, as well as industry partners, multiple industry partners who I won't begin to list the name of, as well as other interested stakeholders, EMRs, private consultants, and so on. And within that context, the idea was to uh, come together with a more cohesive evaluation and assessment of devices used for peripheral interventional uh, treatment of arterial disease. And this has been a successful collaboration. Uh, the first phase was to define uh, common data elements, agreeing on uh, definitions and variables, and then expanding it to look at uh, developing objective performance goals for different classes of devices, such as uh, balloons, stents, atherectomies, and so mm -hmm. on. And so this process continues to uh, evolve, and we were hoping that we could use a similar process in the Venus ecosystem. All right, so the plan is also to reach out to industry to get them involved kind of in the next round to have the, a little bit more input in there because we obviously, we don't exist in a, in a vacuum mm -hmm. and uh, an industry has, A, they have a lot of skin in the game anyhow, but how, how from the, the rapid idea, do you minimize the kind of individual agenda of a, a particular industry that's making a particular device when they, when they say, okay, I'm going to sign on for this uh, sure. collaborative. Yeah. I, I think the idea is to get all of the stakeholders around the table in the beginning. So they have ownership over the process. And the idea behind the process is not to evaluate any particular device or design or pharmaceutical, but rather to come up with a conceptual process in how to do this properly. And as industry has significant involvement, uh, they should have uh, a word in how their devices are evaluated long term, along with all of the other stakeholders, which is, you know, FDA, whose job is to promote safety and efficacy, uh, EMRs who may be collecting the data, uh, academics who have been studying it, professional societies who also have a vested interest. So with everybody around the table working together, we hope to come up with a process that everyone can take ownership of. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, uh, Marlon, your, your idea. We, we got together and we, and we got together with some people going to help facilitate everybody working together through a coordinated registry network. During, during that meeting was the Arts Draken uh, from uh, Cornell. Well, Cornell, Cornell Coordinating Center. Right. Because he has a lot of experience with other CRNs, CRNs right? Marlon, what do you th how do you think that process has been thus far in terms of 
allaying the fears of who, whatever participants are there, like somebody's going to be taken over by somebody else. I don't. I don't think that's a fear at all. Good. If I'm, if data is the data, and we've got, we both have quality registries. It's just not. They're not identical. So I don't think that's. Um, I don't think that's a concern. Yeah, and and I think it, it should be pointed out that when people kind of sign on to the CRN concept, it's not that every registry has, you know entree into every other registry's uh, database. It's that it's the opposite. It's that everybody keeps their own database, but they have come together to answer some of the questions that we already outlined beforehand. So it's, you know, people are at times protective, which you understand, you put a lot of work into, into creating something, but for the greater good, what data can you get out that, um, from both registries, or if there's three or four registries, unfortunately, in the vein world, there's really only two registries at, at, at this time um, to, to answer the uh, the questions. About how long of a process do you think this would take? Nick, you, you're a data kind of guy. If we start today, and if we start today and we get the data out in two months from both registries to answer the one question about C class and ablation, how long do you think it takes from that time, once the data gets out. Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the first part really is is examining the two and finding synergy in the two data in the two data sets and making sure that we have agreement. And we've been working on making sure that that is the case. And I think one of the nice things is that, honestly, the AVLS and the VVR both have, uh, you know, fairly symmetric definitions of, of most things. And so we, we have a lot of synergy and we have a lot of ability to, um, use the same variable definitions already at starting out of the gate. Now, once we have the data to analyze it and then to, you know, have quality control on it before we release any of the results, I think it's, it's probably a six month process, to be honest with you, and get good results and, and make sure that it, it's, uh, you know, that it is exactly what we want, because there's a little bit more risk to analyses when you're using data from multiple sources that, the, that you know, we don't introduce any bias and that we don't um, that we're not inadvertently uh, including something that we shouldn't be. Um, and so I think you have to have a little bit more rigorous quality control on the back end uh, after you complete the analysis as well. So I would I would be a little conservative probably and say six months. All right. So that's actually, and that's not, that's not that bad. Um, I thought it might take longer. So let's you know wind down a little bit here. All registries are supported by the members of, of the various societies. And that's the ultimate goal is to help our members do a better job and, and obviously to get paid for doing the right thing uh, with, with data that we can show to uh, those people who pay us that, you know, this is the right thing to do and, and, and there's more support so the payers cannot just say, well, we don't think we should pay for an anterior ablation, saphenous ablation or whatever. Um, how do we get that word out that, that, that our members don't just think this is some academic exercise, but it has real world implications for them that the more they support this, the more in the end it's going to come down. And let's just face it, in the end, everybody is, they want to make money. They need to make money. So how, how can we use this in the appropriate way to, to help our members who are supporting the registry at the, at the end of the day that they have stuff that, that they feel comfortable and they can go to insurers and societies can go to insurers and say, this is the way it should be. 
Jens is raising his hand. Go, Jens. Okay, well, thank you. I, uh, I would like to take a first crack at this one. Uh, one of the examples that we can use from the arterial space is that the data from the registry has been used both to the benefit of patients and also to industry. Uh, and one example is uh, label expansion. So uh, uh, within the registry, uh, devices can are used both on-label and off-label. We have real-world evidence on those outcomes. And industry has taken that data, they've taken it to the FDA, and they successfully lobbied for a label expansion based upon that data, which is much more efficient uh, and less expensive than doing another randomized yeah. clinical trial. And so now we're faced in the uh, uh, in venous disease, we're faced with the issue that some treatments are not covered. You know, well, some of the non-thermal, non-tumescent treatments are not covered, yet they are tracked within the registry. And that would be both to industry's benefit and to our patient's benefit if we could use that data, present it uh, for a regulatory decision and gain approval. Yeah, good, good practical example. I think the, you know, the way that we're going to successfully get these, you know, get people excited about their, the CRN and about the registries and about, you know, uh, you know, participation is by deliverables mm -hmm. and by delivering the finished product and completing these, you know, these projects that have clinical applications and that we can then use as examples to better the societies, to better the membership of the societies and patients as well. And, and I think those are great examples. And I think in the Venus world, we're ripe to, to do that right now with the data that we have. And I think both registries are already starting to do that. We can use the data that's already coming out of them to advocate for our patients and advocate for ourselves. And, and that's really the goal, I think. And the, the other point that I would make is that as you move towards a coordinated registry network, the first thing you have to do is to get providers to participate in a registry. And Marlon made that point very well in yeah. his talk earlier today, the value of registry participation. And there are many values to it, but, you know, first of all, uh, it can be used as a very effective quality assurance and quality improvement tool at the local level. And then it also provides this wealth of data that we can all learn for, for larger studies analysis. Yeah, and that Once we have registry participation, then we can start having the registries work with each other. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And Jens, that's where I was going as I pointed to Marlon for his summary. But you, you set him up. So, so Marlon, you are, you are the champion of, of telling people why they really should participate in, in a registry. I give you the final say. So people listening to this will say, yeah, I, I, I kind of better sign up for one of these registries to, to get data to help the greater good. But to give, give me a final thing here. The no, registry think, participation is critical. I mean, we're, we're in a surgical specialty. Everything is under scrutiny. Uh, we're battling things on a regular basis. When, you, when you're showing your outcomes, when you're actually capturing what the patient says and you can show that what you did makes a difference, it will make a difference when it's all said and done. Uh, to echo uh, Nick's point, the registries need to show wins, okay? So you have to have deliverables and they both are doing that. If you are not participating it may come back to hurt you because regulatory bodies are looking to force registry participation. And so uh, there's two options. There's no reason to sit on the sidelines. Either you're gonna be a, a serious about the specialty and participate, or you're gonna take whatever comes your way because there's there, there are a lot of forces in play when it's all said and done. And if you're not playing a role in uh, supporting your practice and supporting what you do makes a difference, you may ultimately be squeezed out.
No, and I, I think that's a great a great point to end on. So so people who think it's a little bit of a pain in the neck to uh, to enter your data, first of all, some, it's been made easier now with, with EMR and stuff, with, with uh, some of the registries. Um, but as Marlon uh, implied, some of the insurers now are, are thinking about, you know, maybe one of the reasons that you should be reimbursed is that you do participate in registry because you're showing your results. You're not you're not hiding behind something. So um, I, I think this is a, a great start and we're going to come back at some point and talk about the deliverables once we we deliver them. Uh, but I, the takeaway here is, uh, in my mind, for those of you who are listening, that uh, it it's better when everybody works together and uh, it all starts from the grassroots with the people who are doing the procedures. So uh, get your data into a registry and then the, um, the cover is going to answer some of these questions and help to advocate for, for you and your patients. All right, guys, I want to thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's Vein podcast in association with Radcliffe Vascular. We aim to bring you important topics from the Vein world, either topics that we ourselves feel are important or you, our listeners, feel are important. So review us on your favorite podcast app or send your thoughts, comments, and questions to podcast at Radcliffe with an E-group.com. That's podcast at Radcliffe-group group.com. You could also register to access newsletters, videos, and peer-reviewed journal articles. Thank you. Glad you listened. This is Dr. Steve Elias, and we'll see you on the next Fame podcast.